everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back indeed on this beautiful springtime evening. Technically still spring. It definitely is getting a little hot out here a little hot but not so hot that it's like still hot right now so we've had a I'll week of it. like just cool temps you know like not cold but cool where it's just ultra pleasant um so yeah that's been nice remarkable not what i associate with madison in june yeah maybe i'll bring it's some usually, of that with me it's usually that whole you know launch full uh full forward into summer ready or not you had two weeks of spring like temperature you're fucked now it's humid right but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Los Angeles is weird, uh, and all manner of, uh, of of weather events are um, well, you know, more more mellow than not. Except when it's been been getting hot. I guess we'll have to see. But yeah, to the point, we got a special podcast coming up for our next episode. Uh, don't think there's any harm in previewing this for any listeners listening to this one. Now we are going to do uh, a live recording. I won't be a live broadcast. That uh, that remains a future frontier for us, but uh, we are going to take it live. The Games Learning Society Conference is reforming at uh, UC Irvine, where where GLS core faculty Kurt Squire and Constance Steinkuhler relocated from Madison a while back. Last GLS conference was 2016 uh, back in Madison, and and here we go again. So uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna do some live shenanigans and uh, talk to some conference attendees about uh, I guess about video games. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, It'll be something totally different for this podcast, and I'd say for us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one of those things that uh, doesn't feel real until you're you're in it. Uh, I'm not sure if vacations always felt this way to me, but I, in fact, I think they used to feel different. There used to be a palpable, like the whole month before you're you're getting ramped up. And oh and yeah, I'm excited. Don't get me wrong, but the reality of it doesn't hit until you're like taking off. You know. It's extra surreal in a ca- travel period in our like late slash post whatever COVID uh, mm-hmm. existence, our endemic COVID existence. You know, I was just out there last weekend, which seriously ate into my gaming time, seeing as a lot of my gaming happens on weekends normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and no gaming happened on the weekend because uh, I was out there for, for a little, little hoot nanny up in the north, which was fantastic um, and certainly did not involve video games. And that was wonderful in its own, <laughs> in its own way. Um, but I've got to say, like, it's just, it's weird getting on planes these days. <laughs> I'm not, it's not normalized for me at all. I'm doing it again this weekend. I'm going up to uh, Palo Alto. My brother is being, uh, receiving an honor uh, for his work as an academic advisor at Stanford. And um, so I will be there at the Stanford graduation ceremony, which is weird in and of itself. But it's like, oh my God, I'm traveling again. What the heck is going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have the mask on and unless I get like real thirsty or something, <laughs> you know, it's like a three and a half hour flight, but I think I can make it without. I'll tell you, once you're on the plane, it's not 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 a thing to worry about. Circulation systems are really good. I took the mask down to drink my mm-hmm. water and, and such um, and did, in fact, just get my PCR test back uh, today from yesterday and I am still COVID negative. Cool. So um you know, I think the conventional wisdom at this point is that unless you've got somebody who seems sick next to you on the plane, you know, you don't really need the mask. I feel more comfortable having having that mask on for sure. Definitely in airports, because I got to tell you, airports are just filthy. Yeah. And, you know, this is this is one video, uh, one one point of data. But someone took like a O2 monitor onto the plane and like it skyrocketed up to like you know, the red level, whatever that uh, means, like, and it came down a little bit once they reached cruising altitude, but like stayed sure. pretty high. So uh, yeah, I'm going to do my best to keep the old, the old mask on. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm certainly the last person discouraged at having basically flown almost entirely masked yeah. uh, both ways slash always with a truly horrendous three hour and 45 minute layover in, uh, in, in uh, Minneapolis on the way back out here. That was not that's the kind of layover that, you know, pre COVID you're like, Oh, this is great. I'm going to have like a couple of overpriced airport beverages mm-hmm. and uh, you know, 
get a little buzz on for the next stage of the flight and hope that I didn't select a window seat where I'm going to have to crawl over people to go <laughs> deal with the consequences of, uh, of, of my, my passion for beer. But uh, no, not these days, man. I was like, what is open that I can eat, that I can take to a corner of the airport where nobody else is hanging mm-hmm. out? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the strategy. That was the strategy. So, you know, um, want to play to win, play it safe. Word. <laughs> well, speaking of masks and playing, there is an uh, individual named Gold Mask in Elden Ring. There, there is. There is. I haven't talked with him uh, recently myself. Uh, but, uh, in, but he in a way, there. I've never talked with him because he doesn't talk. <laughs> he doesn't say uh, much, does he? No, but uh, this can all only mean one thing. It is time for our first feature. It's time for Elden Rungs. Where Paul and Moses slowly climb up and back down the ladder of gameplay and lore and beauty, maybe it was one of them. Ah, sometimes. Uh, so you have encountered the the enigmatic uh, gold mask in your. Oh yeah, I had a little bit of dialogue with me. With he had a little dialogue with me. We talked um, earlier in the game because he told me to go find the beast cleric. Wait, and I mean, now he doesn't really say anything to me. He's just like, "Oh, do you want to learn?" you know some holy magics and that's it oh uh i don't think that's gold mask are you is it like a dude with a golden mask who's like pointing and not moving oh quite right i was mixing him up with uh what's his name dr whatever his name is yeah 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 i've also encountered gold mask uh no and he certainly is a man of of no words yeah um cool mask though very cool mask yeah yeah that actually kind of brings me into my sort of where I am currently, uh, you know, still stuck on that main boss who is uh, squashing me like a bug. Um, like they do. But I've been clearing up um, side quests and breaking from my normal habit of like playing a Dark Souls game and then reading about it and then, you know, seeing what I what I missed. Uh, I'm trying to get as much as I reasonably can on my first playthrough. So... If I, hit I mean, a wall, honestly, that's kind of sensible because, yeah, because yeah. it's going to be a, another hundred hour playthrough for the next one, whenever that might happen. Or alternatively, um, you know, you can potentially then do a playthrough that is less completionist next mm-hmm. time if you're feeling it and you want to just experiment with like a totally different build. You'll have a sense of maybe where to go to get some shit that you didn't wind up using at all because it didn't fit your build, but you went there anyway. Yeah. Definitely the story of my Elden Ring playthrough so far. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I just spent a bunch of time and I found an item for it that I can't use. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, like, I I don't see a practical way of making sure you're getting all the NPC quests because it requires you to scour the entire map to yeah. see where they might appear next. The, and then the icon is revealed for them and you can see that they're still there. Yeah. Uh, but like until you find them, you won't know where they are, what they're doing. So does that mean that after every sort of story action you take, you then need to spend an hour galloping everywhere to see if someone an has hour? Moved? I mean, it's a conservative estimate. Sure, uh, in sure. The sense of, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm sure there's more clues that I, that I might be missing. But um, so, yeah, I, I looked up because I'm like, okay, gold mask. He's been standing there the entire game. I am now at end game. And yeah. who is this dude? He's in the opening credit, you know, opening cutscene. Um, so yeah, I found out how to sort of get his whole thing going and, and did all that. And it was, it was cool. very interesting. Okay. Um, I ended up getting a spell, uh, which I've been searching for this sort of thing the entire game. And lo and behold, it's even better than I could have hoped because it cures all status ailments. Really? It uses a lot of focus points. And I think you need to have 38 intelligence to use it, even though it sure. is an incantation, which is interesting. Um, but, and just the animation, it, uh, it's this very like clockwork kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Very, when something's not loose, it's kind of tight. I don't know. Sure. You'll, you'll, yeah. I'm doing a bad job here, but you'll, you'll, You'll see it at some point. Um, One way or another. Yeah. So yeah, uh, with that, I was able to go to a couple of dangerous places uh, where I get like 
the rot thing right away and kind of explore a little and more not there. get completely subsumed by blood rot yeah yeah um, a few other npc quests and then i did get the last piece of the map of okay. the world Ooh. um so that is now all filled in and and it's weird like when that happens and then i explore a little bit i feel like i've seen everything in that area but no no There's so much so much more and then I, I think the last thing i'll say for my experience um you know loving this game a great deal it feels less sort of distinctly memorable than a dark souls game though because of the non-linearity to it it kind of all blends in to one sort of experience instead of like oh and then i made it to irithyll and then it was pontiff and oh my god and then this and then that right you know, Right. No, the linearity of, of Dark Souls means that the story is mostly told one way. The narrative, mm -hmm. player narratives will vary, but uh, but there is a formal story to it that that will, for the most part, yeah, flow in a uniform way. And that's certainly not the case uh, yeah. by design. Right. So, yeah, it feels a little a little less distinct, a little more nebulous, uh, which is which is OK. You know, you'd prefer it to be a little a little sort of crisper with these moments. Um, but I think in time, they will also sort of crystallize a little bit more as well. That may well be the case. I wouldn't be surprised. I think um, it may well be one of the things we're looking back on it. There are going to be the moments that stand out as crystallized moments, both in terms of the intentional narrative. And then also, of course, like those emergent bits that just happened on your playthrough or yeah. like your own personal what the fuck moments, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of, um, of Blood Rot, I did uh, take a, a couple of cracks at he who is subsumed by the blood rot, uh, Radon. Ah, yes. It's a fun um, fight. Oh, man. I, I'm hopeless at it for now, and I don't think it's necessarily a question of leveling up. It may be, but getting the feel of this fight, whew, it's different. That's for sure. Yeah. It makes it, you're, you know, on certain terms right off the bat, you need to, mounted combat is an essential and necessary part of this fight because you cannot avoid his opening salvo if you're right. on foot it's just not going to happen so um so that was kind of that's kind of fun I, I i i am enjoying that that aspect of it but like after getting decimated by him just a few times i was like eh, i'm not this was uh, actually just earlier today because i just hadn't fit uh any elden ring in this week and i was like i need to do this before we before we pod tonight i've got to mm -hmm. get myself back in the flow here um so yeah, it's definitely going to be enjoyable, um, but uh, but I'm going to have to get the the measure of it. It's like the opposite of the Renala fight, where stage one, you roll in, it's easy at first, right? Anything that's going to be difficult about this fight is not how it initially presents. Like I have a feeling once I get the the rhythm of Radon, it's not going to be that bad. Maybe until phase two, I don't know. Um, but man, initially it's just like. Oh, they don't call him Star Scourge for nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that poor horse. That He's poor on horse. his poor deflated little horse. That poor horse. I, why, how does that even work? The physics of, of Radon and his horse do not make any sense, even for, for FromSoft physics. Well, and it, it actually goes beyond physics a bit because uh, Radon studied gravity magic so that he could still ride his horse. So if you notice on his feet, he has those little purple spheres going. So oh. he's actually using gravity magic to make himself light enough so that he can uh, ride that tiny poor horse around. What an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there's one attack where he actually like shoves the horse under the sand and then does this big like AOE and then like pulls him back up. And like, it's so oh, goofy. Good Lord. Wow. That uh, if that's a phase one, uh, you know, phase one uh, attack, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, hardly a spoiler. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back into that fight. But after that, I was like, OK, let me uh, let me pop up to the sacred capital and the, uh, the plateau up there and do at least a little bit more exploring. Um, and I managed to find myself the Elden Ring Dracon Draconic Tree Sentinel. Oh, yes. And it seems like he might be non-negotiable as a as a world boss because he's guarding a door that is enshrouded in mist while he's there. And I feel like that might be the passage in. Although I did find from a merchant something about there being a well and an extensive like dungeon of sewers underneath the capital. Indeed. Um, but I'm not sure 
he said the well is inside the capital and i feel like does that include inside the outer wall mm. if so then maybe i can find this well um but if not uh you know i already cleared the little um mini dungeon up there on the southish side of the mm. capital that takes you through to i can't remember what the building is on the other side but of course the doors are locked and do not open from the side right that's one yeah. of those sacred towers where you get the upgrades. Oh, to the that's a sacred tower. So yeah. I did, in fact, then uh, to kind of top things off, I came so close to downing that tree sentinel boss. And then I was just like, he's tough. He's tough. It took a lot of work to get there and a little bit of luck. And well, I know I could have done it. And it is another one. Mount, it's got to be mounted combat, but it's frustrating because you're best off demounting periodically because you just can't dish out quite as much damage on the horse. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's a patience fight for sure to a great extent. Also, I had my skeletal bandit row out. Mm -hmm. And when he took him down, he focused fire on him and destroyed him. Oh, shit. If I didn't distract him and get him to, to come attack me instead, he ground pounded and, oh, uh, and brought him down permanently. Yeah. I wasn't not everyone knows how that. to do that. No, no, indeed. I was not expecting a world boss to, to do that. I did think it's interesting. There is the minor Erd tree up there. And it almost seems like he's supposed to be attached to that tree. Cause mm -hmm. when you go to the base of that tree, there is no, there is no, no guardian. Mm -hmm. And um, instead there are the, uh, the tears, whatever for, you know, uh, for your tonic makings that are just yeah. sitting in one of those uh, kind of bowl things there. Yeah. Almost looks like a Lord vessel. It does a little bit. Yeah, it does a little bit. And that's, uh, I was just noting that too. Um, there was somewhere else in the game where one of those had popped up and I was like, huh. Mm -hmm. that's interesting very I'm like what are they hinting at here um and i have to assume yeah there's no there's no urge sentinel there so it almost seems like he was recruited away to guard this this entry to the capital or something um yeah and as far as i know that is the only way through i've been down I into the it. dungeon there and i don't i can't see any any way to get in Besides well, the side that's door good there. to know. I'll focus on that and maybe level up a little bit before I take another crack at him just to make it slightly easier because, yeah, he's doable. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I did double back over to uh, Limgrave, to the Sacred Tower there. Okay. And did, in yeah. fact, ascend that tower um, and uh, whatever, made whole the, the God Godric's rune. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was it. There was no fight or anything, right. but it was interesting seeing the desiccated, fucked up fingers at the top. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess the doors don't open until you've beaten the boss with the associated rune, basically, right? Oh, is that what makes the doors open? That's my guess, because I had actually gone to the Limgrave Tower way early in the game. I discovered it. I was like, oh, I can't get in here yet. I wonder what this is about. I think, I think it actually had like a blue shimmering thing in front of it. Uh, maybe not, though. Okay. It's a long time ago. Is I, should, I should revisit the one up by the Capitol then, because yeah, last last I checked, it was still shut. Um, but, but you have since uh, perhaps. Well, I thought I'd already beaten boss. the boss. Uh, but yeah, boss. I'll 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 double check that. So yeah, did a you know, in just like an hour and a half, but I was able to kind of unearth some some new stuff to discover some new corners of the world. Oh yeah, and then I the other thought the other area that I was. Um, exploring in a vain attempt to see if there was some other way into the capital to find more of uh, um, more of the things, more of the map was the uh, Ariza Ariza's heroes. Oh yeah. Tomb. Heroes grave heroes grave. And then there's the side tomb. Yeah. It's like having your, yeah, I was like, not everybody gets a side tomb. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So I didn't really poke around in the side tomb too much. I went in the hero's grave and got ground up by that just brutal trap. Yep like the giant spinning blades chariot things. Um, yeah. I made it through the first two of them. And then there's like a really long hill where there's one going up and going yep. down, like in parallel. I'm like, well, this is delightful. Obviously there's no alcoves to duck into for this part. It's all about timing your way down this fucking hill. And I was like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> they did nerf the damage. Those things used to always one shot me. And now I can get hit once. Uh, uh, where I'm at, they so. totally one shot me, but you've yeah. got a lot more, uh, health at this point than i do so yeah yeah but yeah no they absolutely one shot me at this point oh it was particularly cruel because i was like trying to check out the pattern of the second one and i was just like 
couple pixels too far forward and when it does its turnaround it'll snag you and just mow you down mm -hmm. as it's like turning around to go back up the hill it's just like oh fuck you yeah <laughs> fucking machines so yeah i think that's about it as far as uh between uh between last pod and this as i said very very limited time on elden ring uh, not a huge amount of gaming time in general yeah well you know these things these things happen life happens. life Life finds a way. Uh, and uh, with that, I think we will find a way to our second segment here. It's time once again for Game Ranks. And Moses, lay it on me. Yeah, so I'm going to rank a game that you definitely probably haven't played. I, I'm, I'm guessing you might not have even heard of this game. It is uh, my 53 rank, so sitting above those, those uh, final three, still bringing up the trail. And the game is Below the Root. It uh, was a 1984 release that I played on Apple II with my friend Stacy. We were childhood best friends and still, uh, you know, I don't, don't really have a hierarchy of friends uh, at this stage of my life, but um, absolutely still a best friend. And um, Stacy and I used to, uh, you know, do a pass play basically in front of the Apple II computer with Below the Root. So it is a platformer has been characterized in a, as, as kind of Metroidvania-y, except that I think that that is a very, a very odd way to characterize Below the Root uh, because violence is really, really limited in Below the Root. Mostly you are running around trying to jump in between these trees and solve puzzles these ways. Um, you, you start by choosing from one of a few different characters and there are two races. There are the Kindar and the Erdling. And your, your starter character is going to be one of these two. And the background premise of the game is that um, these two races have existed, um, like kind of evolved out in different directions or something to that effect. Hmm. Uh, and your objective is to try to uh, try to bring peace to the different to the to the two different peoples. Okay. Um, it's based on a trilogy I never read. Um, the books by Zilpha Keithley Snyder. Um, and the first of them is apparently called the changeling. Um, and then it was, uh, that those books, um, which I'm almost surprised I haven't read given that like, Hey, there wasn't that much fantasy in the way of fantasy novels, uh, that back then, not like there is now anyway, where it's just blown up to the point of being like an impossible amount, you know, like you'll literally never read everything in the genre that, that, that people have written. But, uh, yeah, I remember exploring this world, uh, with, with Stace and like, it's one of those games that was so foundational in terms of offering this really rich, complex world with, you know, with graphics that at the time were uh, kind of unlike anything else that we'd seen. There were actually like vivid colors and there are like these tree houses and you're, you know, you're jumping around these tree houses. There's like a little squirrel suit-esque thing that, um, that you can find that would allow you to, to, to glide. Um, and that just felt absolutely magical. I and mean, this is before... You have, um, you know, Mario having the cape or Tanuki suit or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, a mechanic like that didn't even really exist. Um, you know, unlike uh, Zelda, um, you can't just go running around smashing things and taking things because they mechanically baked into um, the game like uh, these these societal principles that like theft is, is frowned on. So you need to, you know, find your... Um, your currency to, to be able to buy things or find them out in the open world. Um, I don't remember how many um, discs it came on, but it was on your old school five and a quarter floppies. It might've been more than one disc. It probably was. If it wasn't, they did uh, like an astonishing amount of like packing, uh, packing stuff in. I granted it's with these sprites that are like reused all over the fucking place. Right. Um, like your leaf sprite is just everywhere in the game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Same thing with like the trees in the park. Um, other notable things about it. I know that it had some kind of a like psychic ability um, that uh, some of the characters had. Your different starting characters had different uh, different capabilities that allowed you to like maybe talk to animals. If I'm remembering correctly, there was a thing where you could like, or at least sense the emotional states of both, both uh, the, the humanoid characters and the animal characters in the in the game um and man 
I'm not sure what else there is for me to say about Below the Root. It um, definitely a game that we never finished. We got pretty far into it. Um, I think falling deaths were like the, the most common way that you died in this game, like you do. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm looking at the map here. I sent you a link. I, it says it's the entire map. I guess there must be a lot of internal environments. There were well, a lot but... of internal environments in the game. There are lots of, but honestly, like when you look at that for a game of the era, um, that, wow, that's fascinating to see it that way because there are totally these impassable parts. Um, mm -hmm. You cannot easily get to all of this like early in the game, but it's funny because I recognize like even now certain parts of it, like those dome shaped buildings on the far right, mm -hmm. or maybe it was the ones in the middle that you see first. Because I remember like seeing those and be like, whoa, what are these? You know? Yeah. They don't look like the other architecture that we'd encountered before. Yeah, I can see this inspiring a lot of just curiosity and desire to explore the world. Absolutely. And like you said, the colors are very vivid. Um, and it just you you kind of want to just check it out. And I can you said 84? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this game was released in 84. Uh, so we would have been like. Yeah, I don't think we were playing it in 84, but we might have been. But certainly by like 85, we were, would have been like nine, 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Like we get a lot of, you know, it was a friendship that did not just revolve around video games. Um, you know, lots of lots of different activities. Um, but certainly we we did enjoy our time, uh, you know, doing the computer gaming thing. Like it, this is the same era as um, like the early summer games and winter games video games and then like sometime a little bit later they had california games which was like totally goofy mm -hmm. <laughs> like hacky sack how is this even <laughs> that's california man yes yes it is i fear that when you come here you will not necessarily find hacky sackers i guess we'll find out that's that's why i'm bringing my bringing my balls there you go make my own scene <laughs> Maybe we'll ask uh, random conference attendees if they want to play hacky sack. Sure. I have never been good at it. I, I tried while well, some coworkers were into it and it's, it's tricky. It is, a tricky, it is tricky. It is tricky. It's a tricky game. Although arguably the summer games hacky sack was even harder than actually kicking that tiny little bean bag. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that wraps it up pretty much for me with below the root. Um, just a, a great legendary game in my memory. Um, one that I think would be interesting to actually go back and spend a couple of hours with um, having a, you know, a more, <laughs> a much deeper understanding of games and game design. Um, I still think that it was, uh, there are a lot of interesting design choices that they made with this game mm -hmm. that um, e even today uh, it, it are not as common in terms of like doing world design. Um, there, there is a propensity, I think, you know, back to our conversation with Grant from, from last episode, um, to use the same old mechanics and to assume that you'll be able to, you know, fight your way out of this. And I mean, if there's somebody who you shouldn't be fighting with, you'll have in-game penalties and costs for, for doing that. But, um, you know, still modern game design does tend to succumb to a lot of standard game mechanic tropes. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, definitely for this era and trying to, to make a, a game inspired by, by a specific existing property and trying to adapt it, uh, they did something different. Yeah, I had not, had not heard of that. So always happy to see something, something new. Um, for myself this week, my new number 56 is Metal Gear Solid V uh, on the PlayStation 4 or Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, it's sort of part of the, uh, the reveal of the story that it actually is MGSV as opposed to MGS5, uh, which, uh, <laughs> we won't, won't go into too much, but, um, this game, uh, you know, it is the pinnacle of stealth action. Like there has never been a game this good at, at the genre, um, you know, the level of freedom that you have to outfit uh, Snake, uh, who unfortunately is now voiced by Kiefer Sutherland instead of the beloved David Hayter uh, for all of the eight things that he ends up actually saying uh, throughout the game. Uh, it was very <laughs> conspicuously minimal, like 
voice lines from him uh and he uh, he did okay it's it, it was it was a weird uh, a weird choice and i'm still not even sure why why it went down that way uh but um the gameplay is is where where it's at um you know you're developing these uh weapons and gadgets that that help you out and one of the main things that makes the stealth work is uh you know in the old metal gear games when you get spotted it's like an immediate zing and alarm and you're in trouble but in this one uh you get a few moments of uh slowdown okay uh, so it's like the guard sees you it's like hey what are you you know and starts pulling his gun or is going to call in and then you have a few moments to knock him out um do what you need to do to avoid uh getting into trouble there and is that's just, just something that automatically kicks or do you have to um like uh you know or is it a resource you use up or, nope, or use? it's it's automatic and it you know it can happen as many times as as it needs to um okay nice and it you know or like oh man and just the controls and the fluidity like throwing yourself down into the ground into a roll and like rolling away or uh you can sort of lay prone on your back and you still have like 360 degrees of of aiming and just the way that okay. that your character like contorts his body as he like aims all around himself was, nice. was really neat yeah. um and so many so many fun little goofy things as as kojima does um like you could customize the music that would play when your uh helicopter would come in because at, at the end of each mission you call in the chopper and race to the chopper and get in uh and you could have like highway to the danger zone uh playing which is just incredible like because eventually you can outfit uh, the Pequod, as it is called, which uh, okay. I have not read Moby Dick, although I... I yeah, I was going to say, it. interesting choice. Um, interesting choice. Yeah, Very much uh, fitting into the, the story in some thematic ways. Um, but yeah, nothing like Pequod showing up, you know, you outfit him with machine guns, he's laying down fire, highway to the danger zone, starts blaring over the, the speakers of the chopper, and you are racing to it. <laughs> or like man eater or you know uh a few other different uh, nice different tracks nice um, okay and it just was fun it just so over the top um the story is uh hit or miss it has some really interesting ideas oh and actually before i get to that i wanted to mention uh d dog and d horse are two of the animal companions uh you can have uh you can outfit d-dog with a tactical knife that he holds in his mouth and okay goes and uh fucks up dudes so um, he's like a progenitor of our of our long uh you know storied history of canine or lupines yeah. uh bearing blades definitely yeah interesting interesting what's the d all about uh d uh a diamond because your, your okay. forces are the diamond dogs gotcha okay uh, uh, so this is D Dog, and then you have D Horse, uh, who's a horse that you can ride around, uh, and you can command him to shit on command, which has oh, gameplay <laughs> ramifications. So it'll just I be better. You better not put a game. Yeah. Come on. So you'll just hear Kiefer go, "Do it," and then he shits, and it's like, "Oh okay. my god, that's yeah. hilarious!" Yeah, uh, you can shoot your rocket-powered uh, hand, your metal hand, off of your body, and like control it in like a tight third person uh, as you punch like six dudes in a row uh, with it, uh, all, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but yeah, the story was, was kind of weird, somewhat problematic, actually really problematic. I won't even like quiet is problematic enough, but there's another character named Paz who uh, just, you don't need the less you know about Paz's story, the better. It is it is uncouth and uncool and uh, fucked up. Um, so that is uh, unfortunate. So you know, I, I would recommend the game in in general, but with with some serious caveats about some of the storytelling. Um, <laughs> but, but not the th part that involves a pooping horse. No, certainly not. And the other part uh, is. Uh, it has this language parasite thing and uh, some, some spoilers here if, you, if anyone's intending to play it, but um, they developed this bioweapon that uh, infects you with these parasites 
and they remain dormant until or unless they hear a particular pattern of vocalizations. So what they can do is set it up so that if you speak English and you then vocalize, these parasites will activate and really? I guess make you sick or kill you. I forget exactly what. Uh, but I thought as a sci-fi concept, that was that was kind of fresh. That was that was kind of neat. Huh. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely. And that's, that's why Quiet never speaks is because uh, if she does, then these parasites will uh, activate. Ah, so that's like, huh. So it was established. It's established lore. Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was rushed. It was weird. It was coming at, uh, as Hideo Kojima's relationship with Konami, you know, was, was in full uh, free fall. Uh, so, you know, there's an entire third chapter of the game that was cut. Uh, so it ends somewhat unsatisfyingly. Um, but again, those moment to moment missions where you're on a mission, you've got your gear, you've got your, your horse. Uh, it's, you know, pretty, pretty much unrivaled. So that Man. is why it's my new number 56. Excellent. Excellent. That's, that's wild. I mean, I like, I know these games are, uh, the whole series is kind of bonkers. That's kind mm -hmm. of on brand. Um, but that's a little extra. <laughs> yeah. Gotta yeah. love it. Gotta love it. Well, speaking of love, uh, it is time for our next segment of the show. And I swear, Moses, you, you're just setting me up for these segues sometimes. Sometimes. How, uh, how glorious they are. But it's time once again for what I love about. What I love about uh, the internet and video games is Jeff Gerstman, uh, formerly of Giant Bomb, uh, one of the uh, co-founders of Giant Bomb, the last of the original uh, four duders to, uh, to be on Giant Bomb. And it was announced a few days ago that uh, uh, it was his last day at Giant Bomb. And wow. still not exactly sure why. I think he just wants more freedom and less like meetings and analytics and stuff. Um, but I mean, it was the first podcast I started listening to uh, back in 2009. Like, yeah. This dude has been in my ear uh, for for many many years on on a weekly basis. And actually, I stopped listening to the Bombcast because uh, it just the personality. You know, it's it's a very weird uh, idiosyncratic thing. But uh, I needed more Jeff, and now I have all the Jeff uh, I want because he's doing a Patreon, and he's going to be doing a weekly podcast um, and other such things. Um, but really what it comes down to is he is the type of sort of host personality that I would aspire to be. Uh, very gotcha. congenial, very, you know, personable, but also willing to ask maybe not the tough questions, but the, the provocative questions. I mean, you know me, you know how much I love sort of uh, well, provocative questions, putting people sort of on the spot. I mean, it's the impetus for many a, a segment in this, in this show, really. Um, so uh, I've always admired uh, the way he, he handles himself and, uh, you know, just grateful to have had, uh, had him in my, in my ear for, for these years and looking forward to, to the next chapter. Right on. Yeah. Um, it, uh, he, he's left giant bomb and I thought I saw something here. He's starting a new podcast. Yes. Okay. Which I, yeah, I listened to episode one. It's a solo podcast, which not everyone could pull off, but like he can just go and, you know, he's got the chat going and he's, you know, Oh, gotcha. He'll have okay. guests and stuff too. But, uh, but man, he can, he can hold it down on a, on a solo pod. Righteous. Yeah. Well, Jeff, uh, if uh, you happen to be hearing this podcast, we'd all, uh, we'd love to have you as a guest. Right. <laughs> Why not? Sure. Uh, we probably wouldn't be here without your influence on Paul. So, you know, Indeed. Indeed. Righteous. Uh, yeah, man. Man, that's a lot to love. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, coming up next is Tell Me About. And uh, continuing on the Giant Bomb uh, theming here, Moses, I have a, a two-parter for okay. you. Um, first of all, could you tell me about your favorite energy drink? Coffee. <laughs> okay. I'm afraid that's it. Yeah. Though. Like I don't yeah. do energy drinks. Um, 
you know, with with my middle aged gut, uh, they're more likely than not to just like send me running for the toilet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, by and large, yeah, it's been a while since I've even done like a Red Bull and all yeah. the kind of more fancier uh, and or crazier and or hyper caffeinated shit that's come out since then. Like, no, uh, coffee is my energy drink. Okay. I was going to say, I, you know, when I was picturing asking you the question, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if Moses does energy. You've drinks, probably like never seen me drink an energy drink. It, no. You would be right. I don't do them. Yeah. I just don't do energy drinks. It was a big part of the early pod. They would do like drink reviews as like a first segment. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, gotcha. So, uh, so yeah, coffee, it is uh, my next question. This is probably the all time classic giant bomb uh, quandary. Um, okay. And it's, it's slightly, well, it has a uh, sort of violent implications, which uh, you and I certainly don't ascribe to, but purely hypothetically uh, you have a choice. You are going to be facing someone uh, who is approximately the same height and build as you and okay. uh, your weapons of choice are a uh, aluminum bat okay and a six inch non-serrated knife sort of a, a okay. combat knife with with a hilt uh and you can choose first and whatever you don't choose uh then goes to your opponent and you yeah. are going to uh you know try and uh kill each other <laughs> or at least it's a fight yeah it's a fight to the death right? uh, Yes. So uh, which do you choose and why? I mean, it's got to be the knife. Yeah. The bat has reach. Obviously, the bat has reach. Um, and yeah, since it's not wood, it's not going to break. But on the other hand, if your wood bat breaks, then you have a stabbing weapon. Mm -hmm. um, having an edged weapon in, in this type of conflict would absolutely, I think, you know, it, it would I, it would strongly um, it just strikes me as the in this kind of confrontation and bear in mind um one i'm a pacifist two the only martial art that i've studied is tai chi chuan and uh what my tai chi teaches me is run the fuck away if you can mm -hmm. so you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're in armed combat in the first place this is like the first part of tai chi but after that you want to disable your opponent if at all possible mm -hmm. and i think my chances of disabling my opponent with a knife are better than my chances of disabling my opponent with with a bat mm -hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, it's still a shitty situation. It just is just to recognize. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I'm going with with the bat for myself because the one thing I'm worried about, like you hear these stories about someone getting shot or stabbed, and they don't even know mm -hmm. until later after the adrenaline's worn off and they feel like their shirt is wet. Uh, so I'm worried even if you get a few pokes in. I don't know if it's going to slow them down. Whereas, oh, you got to be going for the legs. I guess the true same is true for the bat. You can be going for the knees, but yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's less about trying to, to get a good stab in where you may or may not hit something vital. It's more about trying to make sure that they just are not able to get at you. Yeah. And you know, if you can, if you can nick somebody's like Achilles tendon or get them like, you know, real good in the calf or, or in the thigh or something like that, like, even if you're not killing them, it it's, uh, it's that disabling effect that just makes it harder for them to get after you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by that same token, honestly, that is also the call for the bat because having the reach, it gives you a better shot of being able to get somebody in the knee before they can get close enough to stab you. Yeah. Like, I, I'm going dirty here. Come on. It's a fight to the death. Oh, there's yeah. No, gotta, there's no honor in here. Or yeah. if it's not death, then at least it's the fight to the I can finally get the fuck away because some asshole has locked us in a room or something. Yeah. I just feel like with a bat, I could be kind of swinging sort of wildly, creating sort of a defensive zone and then kind of chipping away. Like maybe I maybe I can hit hit the, the hand that's yeah. holding the knife. Uh, I mean, or let alone like a good blow to the temple. I mean, that's going to you're not going to be able to ignore that. You can dome somebody um, for sure. For yeah. sure. No, I mean, it's a hard choice. It's a hard yeah. choice. Um, you know, it, it, it is a, the mortal nature of said combat that um you know that does for me in, in terms of making this decision but like i said i don't feel necessarily good about it i think there's clearly advantages and disadvantages to both of these weapons yeah well um may we never find out <laughs> no maybe may, may we absolutely never find out so paul 
this is a you know kind of focused and and you might not be ready to answer this question hmm. um but i feel like you at least are like you're approaching the end of your first Elden ring playthrough yeah um tell me about what's next for Elden ring no no oh. <laughs> like i mean i know that you'll yeah. wind up doing a second Elden ring playthrough but there has to be a game or games that you've been thinking you want to pick up but that you know you're not going to make the time for until you've at least completed one Elden Ring playthrough. So, you know, at least one thing that is like on your horizon as far as uh, games that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I am I am very excited to get back to Factorio. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, it's back to the future. To the Yeah, to the it's past. been kind of percolating. And then uh, I've avoided like videos and tutorials and stuff for sort of my first go around with it because I, I want to be able to figure out the smart stuff to do myself, but I feel like I have enough of a handle on that. Uh, so I've been watching some videos and just seeing these insane factories that, uh, that people can make. And nice. Cause am... you've, you've put a fair amount of time into Factorio already. Oh yeah. Quite, quite a bit of time. And, you know, each time you learn more and you're like, okay, now I want to start over and like put all this into practice. And then you learn more and you want to, you know, do it again. Um, yeah. So the other game is called uh, Citizen Sleeper, hmm. uh, which sounds uh, really interesting to me. Um, sort of a uh, a survival kind of game. Um, you're, I guess, you're like on a ruined space station, and you're trying to survive and keep your your meters up. Um, but that recently came uh, to Switch. And uh, ah, very I'm nice. Pretty interested in uh, in that one, and then the other one uh, that I've been meaning to hook my PC up for is uh, Space Warlord Organ Trading Simulator. Oh yeah, I've seen a couple of like short pre reviews about that uh, from because it's been uh, it's been in uh, whatever um, early access for mm -hmm. for a minute now. Um, it, it's fully is it fully out now? I'm not sure. I, I think it may be a full release. Yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, hell of a title. And really, it, I mean, the explanation of what the game is, is right there. It's in, in the title. In yeah. the title. Um, I'm not big into uh, 40K. I, I've never played it, uh, but I love the the world, the fiction yeah. of it. And I've been watching this uh, YouTuber go through all the different things, like the worst jobs in the Imperium, history nice. of the, this and that and it's kind of got me in that that hyper techno dystopian kind of kind of mood excellent uh, yeah um as you know i'm a fan of the 40k fiction um i uh, have uh, only barely played actual warhammer 40k once in my youth mm -hmm. um i think it's the kind of thing where if anybody was ever going to have talked me into playing 40K, it was Rick. But like most yeah. people who have played a lot of 40K, the main thing they have to say about it is the rule systems are broken. Every time they release a new version of the rules, they're still fucking broken. The rules are, are madly broken. You paint armies, but <laughs> most of us don't want to actually play the game because <laughs> how right. busted the rules are. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's not appealing to me for a tactical minis game. I would love to play a tactical minis game where, uh, you know, where the rules were, were not broken, mm -hmm. but you know, yes, the, the grim dark, the ridiculousness of it. Um, but also the depth, it's a very, very like, if anything overbuilt universe. So I dig what you're saying there yeah. and uh, kind of puts me in mind of, of something for a future episode. Nice, nice. That is to say, I have to rank Space Marine still. No, um, <laughs> right. That is also true, but not the point. Uh, well, I think that does wrap us up on Tell Me About Them. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, which is now drifting. Oh, yeah. I want, well, nothing nothing new here. I want a PlayStation 5 so I can play Demon Souls. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Of course. Um, yeah, so but that's got a strong contingency attached to it. Right. I, I will say there's um, a couple of things that have crossed my, my bow recently that I'm kind of curious about. And one of them is Stray. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to uh, to that. I think it's coming a full, a full release. That is coming later this year. I believe it's like an early access or something mm -hmm. or beta or something right now. So, um, But hey, who doesn't want a game about being a cat? Come on. Being a cat in this downtrodden kind of robots only looking uh, future. With the, like, yeah, a speaking bunch of, of grim dystopic robots. kind of yeah. like, yeah, 
yeah so so that'll be interesting looking forward to that one for sure yeah but man i've been trying in earnest to to put Elden ring to bed uh partially it's the, not working for you yeah partially why <laughs> i want to do those side quests so i can level up more and maybe yeah eventually beat this this uh this dude here but uh maybe tonight we shall see i strongly suspect it is mostly about patience because <laughs> it's a soul spawn game yep <laughs> um cool well uh with that then we will move into the final segment of the show it's time for make my game all right let's make a game coming this week from grumpy pug Productions. oh a grumpy pug is our, our first uh potential game battle godzilla ex it's okay i don't know i don't know it is okay this is the like playing with fire moment like could do a lot worse than this mm-hmm. um but i always feel a little bit of hesitancy when it's like an existing ip yeah the only thing there is like the ex you know like what makes a godzilla ex uh but but yeah is ex like extreme what is yeah, it or like extended version it's or like it's almost like a deluxe version kind of thing gotcha um, so, but yeah, it being Godzilla, I don't know. Let's let it go. I'm gonna use my veto on this one. Okay. Let's uh, let's kill let's kill Battle Godzilla EX. Uh, next up is Streets and Spells. <laughs> okay, which, which I like. Yeah, I like that too. And since I've already used my veto, I couldn't veto it anyway. Yeah. So I Streets and Spells. That's got so many different directions that it can go in. Yeah. Like it could be very conventional, but it could also be like. A huge variety of, of of genres that are not conventional. The first thing that pops into my head is a sort of uh, fantasy city builder uh, okay. played with square cards that you okay. lay down, and the cards, uh, you know, have a street on them, and also on either side of the street is a magical effect. Okay, I like it. I like it. So um, we can definitely go with this. And this is what I love about this is how easy it would be to mock it up with analog. But then how like what is really going to get interesting with it is um, is what happens with uh, with card synergy Mm -hmm. um, that you can't possibly do this kind of stuff with analog because like as you as you connect streets and as you like build out your city, um, you know, connected tiles can change and merge into each other. Right. right? Um, and you, you want, in, in some instances, you might be looking to, uh, you know, take a kind of D&D-ish look at like schools of magic angle, right? So maybe like you want uh, two illusion cards next to each other because they'll magnify um, in terms of like their illusory capacity, but also might uh, become something that is like unique. It's not just that both illusions become stronger, mm-hmm. um, but that like the two of them merge into a street that now has a totally different uh, illusory function than uh, than it would happen if it was just each of them individually, which could be kind of a nice play between some degree of predictability, like um, just leaning into the illusion thing. Uh, you could have like um, you know olfactory goodness, uh, where it's like the street smells like cookies and delightful things um, in one, and then you could have like uh, dancing lights in the next one. Um, but when you put them together, they don't always become the same combination of like kitchen mirage. Like mm-hmm. that's like one thing that could happen, but it could also be like, um, you know, uh, 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 like cookie mushroom dance party. I, I don't know where you have like little illusion mushroom dudes that, that, that are going to populate your, your street and they're going to enhance a kind of business activity. One presumes we're, we're doing a city builder, right? So it's all going to yeah. be about like your residential and your commercial so that could be like the part of the bazaar, like the the food, some of the food stalls. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and maybe you're not like placing like, okay, this is the bazaar and I'm going to put, you know, these things. Maybe the bazaar springs up because of the spells or the... Yeah, absolutely. You have a, a variety of different uh, places that could wind up developing based off of your spell types that are combining in, in a place. Um Mm-hmm. And it could even be flavor. So it's the like the wild bazaar 
versus the like uh, midnight bazaar or whatever, right? Depending so that you could have a, a different type of commercial area that manifests, but also depending on what's in, in, in you know, inflecting it, it can change its character too. Yeah. And I'm kind of seeing like, what if, what if the majority, if not all of the streets are one way? Mm -hmm. And if you chain together, let's say fire magic from mm -hmm. tile to tile, it increases the potency of it. And so uh, like a, a certain blacksmith will only appear if you have like a level three fire street going for him to set up shop. But then you have to maybe cancel out that effect to have a residence nearby so that the residence doesn't burn down, you know? No, I like it. It's like um, uh, in order to attract like Efridi business, right? You need enough fire. You need a block that has enough fire that like little like low level fire beings will come if it's just like one, mm -hmm. one area or, uh, you know, other, other, uh, other folks who might be seeking fire for their own purposes. But like, yeah, again, you want that Efridi blacksmith to show up, right? Oh, you've got to get enough fire going on here, but then you do have to balance that against what are, what, what's adjacent to it. Um, you can only build certain things adjacent to it or else like, yeah, bad things can happen. A portion of your city can light up and then mm -hmm. you're in trouble and you're in like some kind of a response mode. Um, and maybe that's an interesting idea, like counter to Sim City, where like natural disasters would just kind of come and they, you'd weather them and then have to, to deal with them. What if, uh, if you're, if you have a crisis state of any type, whether it's traffic, fire, giants, whatever, um, it actually shifts you into a different mode and the cards that it's dealing with you, instead of being like building out your city there, they become actions that you can take to try and mitigate the situation. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And, and those could actually be dependent upon the resources you've already kind of built out. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe you need to balance it like, okay, you want this master blacksmith, Ifridi blacksmith to, to move in for all the points or prestige or whatever. Right. But uh, the, the heat from that tile continues to mount. So yeah. maybe you, ha you have to contain it with water or ice cards like in the vicinity to kind of cool things back down. Yeah. Like, and well, meanwhile, you're like trying to build towards creating a structure that'll manage it. Yeah. And like, you know, create steam fountains for you or something right mm -hmm. and maybe but like even, until until you can get there you're going to have this periodic situation you need to deal with and you need to be like banking enough uh, enough of the right resource to handle it when it pops off again yeah i like that concept of of steam fountains that you mentioned like this is where like a one-way street going and all these things are happening and then at the end you have some sort of an outlet a sewer a steam fountain uh, ice cream shop like uh that utilizes all that that stored up magical energy I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's something to build towards. And, um, you know, even uh, you know, like potentially you, you can try to upgrade it by then like, okay, hey, I've got this and it's running to its outlet, but now I want to find something else that's going to run into it that'll cause it to transform into something that makes use of, uh, you know, two different types of resources or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even the name, the name sounds like a real thing that already should exist. Uh, streets and spells. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely and i like this version much more than like the first thing that came to mind for me was uh like a streets of rage like beat them up only with like you know spell casting but i was like we've done things like that and make my game before and that certainly could be if this game had come out as an arcade game in 1987 that's what it would have been but and it was called uh, golden axe <laughs> and it was called golden axe oh what a great game. and truth be told i had that exact same thought i pictured a dude in like rollerblades with a wand <laughs> you know, beating up uh, 80s punks. Uh, love it. I love but, it. Uh, I think we found something a little more interesting this time. Most definitely. So thank you, Grumpy Pug Productions. Uh, yes, for uh, Streets and Spells. Uh, and uh, speaking of thank you, it is time for the final part of the show, the goodbyes. Uh, Moses, any final thoughts for us this week? You know, Paul, I'm looking forward to seeing you live and in person next week. And we're going to mix it up with some Games Learning Society attendees. It's going to be a little bit wild. Yeah. Uh, I might, uh, it's kind of for the best for me because since I'm out of pocket again this weekend, I'll probably not have played a whole lot between now and the next episode. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, this, this will work out for the best, uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be interesting and we'll be, uh, we'll be bringing it to you all. Um, well, probably when Paul returns and mixes it down, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, very good. Well, as always, thanks for being here with us this evening. Most definitely. And uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. 
If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.